Good morning, folks. Thank you for coming back and joining me this morning on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and today I've got two wonderful guests that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you. First up with me this morning, I'm going to get a return visit from one of my all-time favorite guests here on Next on the T, and that's Bob Friend, Jr., you remember, you know, last week, you know, top 100 instructor Eric Johnson joined me. And if you've been listening to this show over the last four years, you know, two of, two of the guys I would put in my dream bison are Eric and Bob Friend Jr. Bob has, you know, played on all of the major tours. He was in the field last year at the Senior Open Championship over at Carnoustie. We'll go back. We'll get his experiences and memories from that event. We'll also get his thoughts on this week's Open Championship. We'll also talk strategy. You know, when you're playing a Lynx golf course, how different is the strategy in your mindset when you're going in to play a course like that than when you go out and play, you know, one of the courses we are here, we're used to here over in the States. Bob's game is in great shape. He, you know, has been competing out locally up there in Pennsylvania, finished third in the uh, Tri-State Open not that long ago. So we'll get an update on how things are going for him and what his plans are for the rest of the gal season. Bob's going to join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll be joined by Dr. Dan Parkinson. And Dr. Parkinson played college golf at BYU back in the early 1970s. And BYU, folks, has a rich golf history. Players like Johnny Miller, Mike Reed, Bobby Clampett, Keith Clearwater, Dick Zirkel, Mike Reed, Daniel Summerhays, so many more have come out of that golf program. So we'll talk about that. Dr. Parkinson also served in our U.S. US Army for 17 years as an orthopedic surgeon. He served during the first Gulf War. So we'll talk about that. Plus, he is now the the, uh, director of sales for a company called Tag Marshall which has developed a great software package to help uh, golf courses effectively and efficiently manage the pace of play. So a lot to talk about with Dr. Parkinson when he joins me a little bit later on in this half hour. So, folks, we got a lot of great stories and information coming your way on this edition of Next on the T. I'm so glad that you're here to take the journey with me over the next hour. And folks, you know Next on the Tee, we are sponsored here by the French Lake Golf Resort. Let's uh, let's hear a great word from our friend Steve Rondonero about all the great things they got going on up at French Lake. Play the courses the champions play. The Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses at French Lake Resort. The 2017 NCGOA National Course of the Year. Our Pete Dye course hosts the first ever Senior LPGA Championship presented by Old National Bank this July. French Lick's Donald Ross course is looking good as it turns 100 this summer and hosts the Donald Ross Centennial Classic Symmetra Tour event. Book your golf vacation now at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, be sure to go to FrenchLick.com, folks, to see for yourself how great a place that, that they've got going on up there and to book your stay as well. And speaking of great, over the last several months, you've heard me talking about the meteoric rise of the Bradley Putter Company from concept just last year on Black Friday to one of the sensations this year at the PGA Merchandise uh, Merchandise Show in January. Well, I've got mine, and boy, is it a beauty. We're proud to be partnering with Bradley to help promote their unique line of putters made from burl wood. And, folks, these aren't ornamental putters. People are raving about the look and the feel of the Bradley putter. They can make them custom-made to you in the shape and the colors that you like. Mine's black and yellow to support my my teams up in Pittsburgh. Go online to bradleyputters.com to see how fantastic this new line of putters really is. Plus, also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Company. Folks, summer's here, right? It's so hot outside here in Atlanta. Oh, my goodness. So is your wardrobe ready for it? Well, the folks at Bobby Jones are, and they can help you find the perfect way to liven up your wardrobe for summer. From polo shirts to tech shorts and pants to belts, you name it. Everything you need to feel great and look great, whether you're in the office, out on the town, or out on the golf course. Go to bobbyjones.com to see their new summer line. Plus, while you're in a Bobby Jones frame of mind, go to BobbyJonesClubs.com to see their great line of drivers, fairway woods, and hybrids designed by one of the game's most influential equipment designers, Mr. Jesse Ortiz. And like his father, Lou, and Bobby Jones himself, Jesse has a passion for golf and golf club design. You remember his great uh, tri-metal fairway woods from his days back at Olimar. Well, now he's putting his creativity and his innovative designs to work, creating great golf equipment for Bobby Jones. Check them out online at bobbyjonesclubs.com. And also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Callaway Golf. Callaway has been the fastest growing golf brand since 2013, and the Chrome Soft Golf Ball is a major reason why. 
Chrome Soft is extremely fast, incredibly soft, and unbelievably easy to control, which is why guys like Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, and Jim Furyk have all changed to Chrome Soft. You've got to be willing to change to get better, and Chrome Soft and the new Chrome Soft X are in stores now. See what they can do for you at CallawayGolf.com. Chrome Soft, it's the ball that changed the ball. And one last thing, folks, if you've been with me over the last several weeks, you've heard about the great things that Russ Holden and the wonderful folks at Caddy for a Cure are doing. And I believe so much in the things that Russ and his team are doing that we are proud to be partnering with them now. One of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service veterans and Fancona anemia. What a terrible disease that is. Please do your research on it. You'll walk side-by-side with tour players experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to this amazing experience, you're going to receive a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, which includes Under Armour logoed apparel and an eyewear package as well, a tour-grade Caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a tin cup ball marking gift chef's cut real jerky a professional photograph of your day so so much involved in this great experience that caddy for a cure can do for you so please go to caddy for a cure and four spelled out f-o-r so caddy c-a-d-d-y f-o-r-a-c-u-r-e caddy to learn more all right now back with me on the french lick resort guest line is Bob Friend Jr. Let me remind you about Bob's background. He's from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, played his college golf at LSU, where he and his teammate David Toms and the rest of their LSU teammates won the 1986 SEC Championship. He won the Pennsylvania State Championship in back-to-back years in 1984 and 85. He turned pro in 1987. He played on the nationwide, you know, the PGA and the Champions Tour. He's done all that since 1990. He had five top 10 finishes his rookie year on what's now the Web.com Tour, including a second-place finish at the El Paso Open. He got his first win at the 1991 uh, Fort Wayne Open. He had five top 10 finishes in 1994 and three more in 1997. In all, he, he's finished in the top 10 27 times. Baseball fans, you're going to remember his father, Bob Friend Sr., who played in the major leagues from 1951 to 1966, mostly with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And he was a key member of their 1960 World Championship team that beat the Yankees on Bill Mazeroski's home run in the bottom of the ninth back in Game 7 of that series. And I'm thrilled to have Bob back with me and next on the tee this morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you, my friend? Oh, Chris, I'm doing great. My goodness, you got it all down, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. No, you got it. No, that's great. You again, you're 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 one of the most prepared radio hosts I've ever I've ever spoken to and uh, it's always a pleasure to come on your show. Uh, I appreciate you saying that, Bob. So, Bob, catch us up. You know, boy, I see, you know, the state of your game looks in very good shape. You finished just a couple of strokes back not that long ago at the Tri-State Open. So, catch us up. How are you feeling about your game? Well, you know, Chris, last year was a transitional year for me golf-wise. I, uh, I've worked with Dr. Jim Suddy since 1999, and, um, you know, it's one of those things where I had some time last year to really put in the work that really needed to be done over the years, the way that I am built. And what Dr. Suddy does, Dr. Suddy has a Ph.D. in biomechanics, been teaching golf for 40-plus years. He's, he's the most knowledgeable guy in the game, um, and – I have been, ever since I started playing, I'm very thick in the shoulders, very thick in the chest. And so my arms have always been above the swing plane. And so what we tried to do last year was try to get my arms a little bit lower in the swing plane, which will allow me to come down a little bit more down the line as opposed to being high and then dropping the club down into the slot, which hits draws which is great but my bad shot was always a block and I was really never a very good fader of the golf ball and so I wanted to really get better and so it's one of those things where even at the age of last year I was 52 I'm 53 now you know you're always striving to improve your game and so last year we worked on rotating my left forearm a little bit earlier in the golf swing which opens the club face but also allows my arms to be a little bit lower in my backswing plane Last year, I just did not play very well. I was mostly uh, trying to play golf swing as opposed to trying to play the game of golf. And so last year, I struggled a little bit. This year, 
I don't have to think about what I'm doing. Basically, all the changes I made last year are basically have been implemented in my golf swing. And I've had a very, I've had a very good year. I've, I've played primarily in the tri-state section of the PGA. Um, I shot 64 at Allegheny Country Club, one by three back in early June. As you noted, I finished third in the tri-state open at Newcastle Country Club, which is an old Tillinghouse design. And uh, currently, I'm one of the leading money winners in the section this year amongst all these young kids that hit the ball about 40 yards by me. Uh, so I've had a very good year ball striking wise. I drive the ball extraordinarily accurate. I was listening to your, your, your commercials and your advertisers. I actually just switched to the, uh, the Callaway Epic great big Bertha driver, uh, this past week. And, uh, it is, it is 10 to 15 yards longer than what I was playing before, which was the tailor made M1. I was playing the 430 head. And so I'm, I'm putting that in my bag. Uh, this coming week, I'm playing the West Penn Open a tournament that I've won in the past and that Arnold Palmer's name is on the trophy as well. I'm playing, uh, playing in that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at Butler Country Club. And I'm going to have that new Callaway Epic in there as well as three new sand wedges. I've never played with a gap wedge. And uh, I've, I've called Mizuno up and Jeff Cook, the PGA Tour Promotions, uh, head of PGA Tour Promotions for Mizuno, sent me they're new T7 wedges. So I'm actually, I've dropped a four iron out of my bag and I'm actually putting in a 52 degree gap wedge and then I have normal 56 and a 60 all from Mizuno, the blue ion wedges. So I've got uh, a little revamped bag going into Butler Country Club this coming week. Uh, but I'm playing very well. And, uh, later in the middle of August, I was given another sponsor's exemption into the Dick Sporting Goods Open. Uh, I finished tied for eighth there in 2015. So I'm looking forward to uh, getting back there and improving upon that finish here in a couple of weeks. Wow. So, yeah, it sounds like your game is, is uh, you know, you've gone through a bunch of changes. So, you know, talk about that. You know, how hard is that to, you know, to go through, a, you know, a, a swing change like that? You're changing some equipment, right? Change new drivers. Sounds like you got some new you know, wedges in your bag as well, plus a new swing. How hard is it to adapt to that? And, you know, talk about the difference you feel like it's making in your game. Well, it, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a, it's a really good question. And the answer is this. There's, there's two things that you do when you play and practice a game of golf. When you're at the range, you're, you have to go down there with intent and attempt. You have to go down there with an intention. What am I trying to work on? What am I trying to improve? And you have to give it your full attention. You've got to be completely engaged in what you're doing. And you're training it down there. It's just like going into the weight room. It's any type of practice you do in any sport. You train it on the practice ground to be able to trust it on the golf course. And one of the things that's the hardest thing about our sport is that after you're done working on your game and you're making your changes, making your tweaks, this, that, and the other, is trying to take it to the golf course. So what I have been very good at doing, um, and again, I've worked with Bob Rotella. It's one of those things where when you play at the highest level, uh, you know, it takes an awful lot of people to help you along the way. You're always getting input from a teacher of some sort. And so one of the things that I've learned and I've really been very dedicated to this year is that I, I separate my practice from my play. In other words, I'm going to go to the range and I've realized at the age of 53 now that any changes you make, you don't have to make them immediately in terms of on the golf course. Gradually, if you work on them hard enough and if you work on them long enough, they will gradually automatically instill themselves into your golf swing. And so what I've been doing better at this year, again, as I said, I worked on it all last year. I played golf swing last year instead of the game of golf. This year, what I did, I made a, I made a conscious decision that I was going to work on my golf swing at the practice ground. And as soon as I got to the first tee, I wasn't going to think about my golf swing anymore. I was just going to focus on my target. And that's made all the difference in the world. And so basically what I'm doing is I'm trusting that over time, any changes that I make to my golf swing, those are going to come at the golf practice area. Once I get to the first tee, I want to be engaged in the target. I want to fall in love with my target. With regard to the equipment changes that I've made, the wedges I got from Mizuno are very similar to what I had before in terms of the lie, the loft, and the bounce. They're all identical. It's just that my, you know, as a, as a professional, we all realize that the game is played from 100 yards and in. And so when you go and you take a look at professionals, professionals go through sand wedges, uh, you know, like most people go through cocktail peanuts. Uh, we wear them out. I mean, we, you know, we, we hit a, we hit a lot of golf balls. 
uh, at the short game area, a lot of bunker shots, this, that, and the other. Next thing you know, after a month and a half or so, you don't have any grooves left on your sand wedges. So we're very accustomed to changing out wedges. Uh, this particular set of wedges, the one that's going to be a little bit difficult for me to kind of, uh, to, to, I guess, to kind of adapt to, it's going to be the gap wedge. Because I normally, uh, I will hit my pitching wedge, I max it out at around 125 yards. And, you know, for the 105-yard shot, 110-yard shot, I became very, very proficient at gripping down the club, shortening the lever, and hitting those little half shots in there. Well, what this gap wedge is going to allow me to do, it's going to allow me to take more aggressive swings at those distances, the 105, 110-yard shots. And for me, it's just mentally, I just have to get over the fact that I've got this wedge in my hand, and I can go ahead and hit it, and the maximum that's going to fly is going to be about 110 yards. And so that's really the one ferry that I have to adapt. But in terms of the other two, the 60 degree and the 56, because the bounces are the same and the loft is the same and the lie is the same, it's basically just retooling a wedge. It's really not that big of a change. And the driver, look, the fact is this epic driver is basically taking all the oxygen out of the air. Everybody and their brother has hit it, including all the guys up at Oakmont. They're all saying it's longer, it's longer. I spoke with Rich Berglund, who's the regional manager for Callaway. He got me one, and it is it is 10 to 15 yards longer than anything that I've hit before. It's an amazing, amazing piece of technology. So, Bob, I want to go back to a point you made a moment ago about going on the range and having intent when you get there. You, you know, uh, you have a talented son who's, who's a junior player. My son is just starting to get into junior golf. You know, the, the idea of just going to the range and beating balls, right, versus going in there with a game right. plan for what you're trying to do. Talk about how important that is. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. Uh, here's, here's what I tell my son. And this is, and you can relay this to your son and anybody that's listening that really likes the game of golf. Everybody pulls different things out of the game of golf. Some people love the idea that they get up there, they hit it hard and they watch it fly. Some people like to go out there and love the camaraderie. Other people like to compete or whatnot. When you go and you practice, now here's what I told my son, and this is how I practice and how pros practice. My son currently, Andrew, uh, the average swing speed on the PGA Tour is 113. Andrew swings it north of 118 to 120, and it's effortless. He's got more talent in his left hand than I have in my entire body. But he's 17 years old, so he really, you know, we know what 17-year-old boys are like. They're, they're clueless. So uh -huh. that being said, what I have told him is this. Dr. Suddy, he went and he worked, started working with Dr. Suddy last Wednesday, not this past Wednesday, but two Wednesdays ago. And Dr. Suddy changed his grip. He weakened his grip, weakened his left-hand grip, which I told him, but because of his daddy doesn't listen to me. Uh, he changed his takeaway a little bit in terms of keeping the club headed slightly outside of his hands on the way back, at least until his hands get waist high. And he talked about having a little bit more flex in his right knee. So what I relayed to Andrew was this. He has three things that he has to work on. So I told him, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take 10 balls. And you're going to hit 10 balls focused solely on the grip. You're not going to worry about the ball flight. You're going to focus on the grip, taking a perfect grip for each of those 10 balls. And then you're going to take 10 more balls, and you're going to focus on your takeaway. You're not going to think about your grip or your right knee. You're going to try to get that takeaway exactly where he wants it to be for those 10 balls. And then on the third 10 balls, you're going to think about your right knee. I want to make sure my right knee is more flexed to the top. For those 10 balls, that's what you do. And then you take 10 balls. You kick away the uh, the aiming stick. You know, we all use the aiming rods or whatnot on the range. You kick that away, and for 10 balls, you don't have any swing thoughts. You go and you get engaged in the target on the range, and you go through the normal routine that you would follow when you're on the golf course, and you try to shape shots. You try to hit a low hook, a low cut, a high high hook, high cut, uh, you know, a half shot. You try to work the ball up and work the ball down. You try to hit 10 shots just like that. We're not thinking about anything accept the shot and your target, and then you repeat it. And that's how professionals practice. You always have to make sure that you put in mental practice as you're out there working on physical practice because that's the best way to get what you worked on on the range to integrate itself into your game on the golf course. And then, as I said, once you get to the first tee, forget about golf swing because you've already done the work, you've trained it at the range to be able to trust it on the first tee and the rest of the day. Wow, that's great advice, and uh, I'll certainly pass that along. I'm gonna have my son listen to to your answer there because I think that's a that's an area where you know he's he's 16, so he'll be 17 here before long. 
So yeah, he's in that same spot where you know he's he's got to really come 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 with a game plan and then try to go execute. What am I trying to do today on the range? What what's my you know what's my target? What's my thought process? What am I gonna you know try to work on? And that's a place where uh, I think you know just at that age, to your point, they're they're not quite ready to listen to us yet. So great advice, and he'll take it from you, though he won't take it from me. Exactly. But- Bob, I want to get your thoughts on on some things, you know, going on right now. Obviously, this is Open Championship Week. You played last year in the Senior Open Championship over at Carnoustie, uh, which is going to host the Open Championship next year. Talk about your experience there, and I'm really interested in how how the strategy of, uh, of the game, when you're going in and playing a Lynx golf course like that, how different is the strategy from when we're playing, you know, golf over here in the style of play that we have in the U.S.? First of all, going to Carnoustie and going to Scotland last year was the coolest thing I've ever done in golf. And I've done a lot of cool things in golf. I've been very blessed. The Lord has blessed me with health. I mean, you know, as I think if you ask anybody except maybe Jack, no, I actually check that. If you ask anybody, including Jack Nicholas, they would always say, yeah, I wish I, you know, I should have done that. I should have won here. I should have won there, whatnot. But the fact of the matter is going over and qualifying for the Senior British Open at Carnoustie last year, playing in the tournament and making the cut, uh, it was the greatest experience I've ever had in golf. Um, what you, first of all, you, you're, you're, the first thing that you understand when you get over there, the turf is completely different, um, especially a, a, a seaside course such as Carnoustie, where it's, you're basically playing off of fescue grass, off of a very sandy soil that drains extraordinarily well. It's very, very firm, and very, very, the grass is very, very coarse. And you know, it's and you have to be able to hit a lot of different shots. You've got to work on bump and run shots. You've got to work with – you hit a lot of putts because the ground is so firm, especially when they cut those hole locations just over just over the bunkers there. You've got to really, really work on bump and runs and putting the ball maybe from, from 20, 30 yards, especially if the wind is up and the wind is behind you. Um, it brings in a whole new element of the ground game that we normally do not see here in the United States. We try to duplicate it. I think if you go and you take a look at Kiowa uh, and Pinehurst with the sandy, loamy soil, I think that they do a very good job of trying to duplicate that. But it's just not quite the same as going over there and playing. And, again, you've got, you know, the thing about over there in Scotland and over there in the U.K. is that the weather changes dramatically, especially on the sea. I mean, you literally can have all four seasons in an afternoon. I mean, it can be – 50 degrees and driving rain and sun uh, and then really hot and then cool again. It's just, it's an amazing experience. And if anybody is ever thinking about going over there uh, to Scotland to play all those wonderful golf courses, it's an experience you'll never forget. Um, watching the, watching the open championship this week. I mean, obviously the weather yesterday was dreadful. Uh, very rarely do you have a suspension of play in the open championship and then today it's completely different. I mean, we've already had 365s shot this morning uh, from, uh, the I don't know, the Norris guy, but Scott Hand obviously is an Aussie, and uh, Jason Day have shot 65. And it looks like Brandon Grace, who has just birdied 17 to go eight under par for the day, has an opportunity to shoot the lowest round ever recorded in major championship history, which would be 62. Now, granted, par is 70, uh, but that is a hell of an accomplishment. And then it's a great-looking leaderboard. You've got Jordan Spieth that's up there, Matt Kuchar, Ian Poulter, the U.S. Open champion, Brooks Koepka, Dustin Johnson's five under par to 11 holes a day. He is up there. Roy McIlroy had a great round yesterday. It looks like it's going to be a fantastic tournament. And when you go and you take a look at these classic venues, um, the cream comes to the top on these great golf courses. It's the same thing here in the United States. Uh, you take a, a, a look at a, a golf course like Oakmont which hosted the U.S. Open last year in 2016. You take a look at the list of the players that have won at Oakmont, Jack Nicklaus, Ben Hogan, Sam Snead, Bobby Jones, Johnny Miller, Larry Nelson, Angel Cabrera. There are no flukes that win at these great golf courses, and Royal Birkdale's the same way. you got Arnold Palmer, Ian Baker Finch, Tom Watson, uh, Mark O'Meara, and this year looks like it's going to be the same thing. So I think it's going to be a great day today for golf. Might see some records broken. And I think tomorrow it's going to be a fantastic finish. 
And Bob, you know, to your point about the, you know, the weather changes and how much things, you know, how drastic things can change from, you know, minute to minute when you're playing over there as the weather rolls in and out. When, from a strategy perspective, when, when it gets bad like that, when you get the high winds and you get the rain and all of those sorts of things, one of the things I was surprised to see yesterday was that, you know, it didn't seem like, you know, it, that kind of weather change took driver out of most guys' hands. You know, from my perspective, as I look at it, I think, well, you know, wouldn't you go to, you know, a three iron off the tee or a low iron, whether they're carrying a two or a one iron or a driving iron in their bag, you know, just to, you know, to change the mindset of, I, I don't need to try to hit the ball as far as I can in these conditions. What I need to do is play accuracy and get the ball in the fairways, fairways and greens, and par is a good score on these days. But that didn't seem to be what what you know what happened. They didn't seem to make that sort of a change. Is that something that you know? Hey, you know, to to a hacker like me, I'm thinking you know fairways and greens. To those guys, they're thinking birdies and eagles. Is that the difference between a pro and an amateur? Well, I, it, I tell you, Chris, the, the the number of differences between professionals and amateurs. Um, you, you know, there's a there's some things that professionals do that amateurs don't do. First of all, you have to understand that whether you're playing whether you're playing in the club championship or the city championship or the U.S. Open, all players feel nervousness. Every single one of them. If you go and you ask just Jordan Spieth uh, after you know today, were you nervous on the first tee? He's going to tell you absolutely I was. Every single person gets nervous. What happens with amateurs is that amateurs panic when that nervousness comes around. The professionals recognizes an old friend like, ah, there's the butterflies in the stomach. This is good. Been here before. Let's get into our routine. Let's focus and let's fall in love with the target, fall in love with the shot. We're going to head and be decisive. When it comes to playing in bad weather, the most important thing that you want to do pre-round is you want to be organized. So let's say you're going to go out there and you're going to play in the rain. Um, first of all, what you want to do is you want to make sure you put an extra towel or two in your golf bag. And then most importantly, I don't play with, with weather gloves. Um, what I do is I have a number of gloves that I've used in practice that don't have all holes in them and are in pretty good shape. I keep them in a Ziploc bag. And so I might have maybe eight or ten of my older gloves in a Ziploc bag. So if my glove gets wet, I simply take it off and I replace it with a new glove or a different or, or an old, a different glove, I should say. Um, the thing that has me scratching my head with regards to amateurs and they're playing the rain, rain gloves are great. But for the life of me, I have no idea why an amateur for his entire life played with one glove on either his left hand or his right hand, if he's left-handed. And then as soon as it starts raining, he puts two gloves on. I never understood that. It's like you never played with two gloves in your life just because it's raining. Why would you want to put two gloves on your hands? The left hand, if you're left, if you're right-handed or the right hand, if you're left, if you're left-handed. Those are, the, those are the hands that are important, the ones you really need to maintain connection. The ungloved hand is basically just kind of riding on it. Uh, the grip is primarily held in the last three fingers of that gloved hand where the club is, is gently pressed into the palm of the hand. So really the only hand that should be gloved with rain gloves is the hand that you normally glove. The other thing that you want to make sure is that you want to make sure that you adjust expectations if you have them. Realize, let's say that you're Again, playing in your city amateur championship or city open championship, and you played the golf course, and you, you consider that, you know, even par is usually a pretty good score here. When the weather gets lousy, adjust what you think is going to be a good number, and that's going to help you to stay patient during the course of the day. Most amateurs and most professionals, some are not most, but some professionals, once the weather turns south, they have a tendency to lose their patience. They're miserable. They don't like being out there. And playing in, playing in bad weather is really a frame of mind more than anything else. Be organized before you start. Get your bag organized. Know that you've got the extra towels, the extra gloves in your bag. Make sure you got your umbrella. And also adjust what you think is going to be a good number today because that's going to help you to stay more patient, which is the key to playing in terrible weather. Bob, you know, uh, we we saw the story yesterday about, you know, we, when in the first round, Rory McIlroy got off to a terrible start, right? He bogeyed five of his first six holes. And then we learned that his caddy pulled him aside, you know, going into the next hole and, and you know, kind of admonished him. He's like, you know, you're Rory McIlroy. What are you doing? Right. 
So right. are, are you surprised at all to hear about a caddy pulling his man aside and sort of giving him a, a tongue lashing, if you will, you know, sort of early on in his round and, and uh, remind him who he was to kind of, you know, whether it's change his mindset or do whatever, give him a kickstart. Is that, is that unusual or does that, does that go on from time to time? No, it, it definitely goes on. Look, the, the, the reason, the reason that tour players don't take local caddies at tournaments is because that, that tour caddy is a highly skilled individual. Believe me, they, they're not just out there toting bags. Uh, if you've had a caddy who's worked with you for a while, he knows when to talk, when to shut up, when to give you a read, when not to give you a read, when to give you a little extra advice. And that, that, is, a, that is a huge importance when it comes to playing tournament golf because, again, what we're talking about is one or two shots can change a career over the course of 72 holes. The tour caddies are very, very astute at being able to read their player. And so I'm really not, I'm not surprised. I was glad that it happened. He just kind of slapped me upside the head with his comments and said, man, what are you doing? You're Rory, you're Rory effing McElroy. You're one of the greatest players in the world. You've got major championships under your belt. Why? Basically, what I felt was he's, he, he basically was telling him, why are we out here walking on eggshells? Go out there and get it. You're the man. You are the best. And, you know, occasionally it'll, it'll you know, it'll, it, it, it'll, it'll slap a guy upside the head and just say, you know what, you're right. And what that did was that basically instilled a little extra confidence in him uh, that he has been struggling with a little bit this year. He's had a down year so far this year. And so that kind of instilled a little bit more confidence in him. And uh, it's, it's not unlike, you know, a jockey on a horse showing that, showing that racehorse, uh, showing him the crop and just saying, listen, buddy, I'm going to give you a little whack on the rear end here to get going. Uh, I had it happen at Q school back in 97. It was one of those things where I hit the ball well all week uh, at, at PGA Tour qualifying at Greenleaf, and I just three-putted the 18th hole. Uh, I had 27 holes left, and I was not going to get my card. I was uh, – I didn't even know why. I can't remember what it was. I think it was like two over par. I was i was just not getting it done. I three-putt 18. I kind of go walk over the, the, night, the first tee, which is going to be my 10th tee, and my caddy got in, Mick Peterson – he grabbed me and he just looked at me. He said, will you do me a favor? He said, will you just relax? He said, look, we're not going to get our card. He said, okay. He said, why don't we go out here, relax, and just enjoy the last 27 holes and stop trying so damn hard? And I said, you know what? You're right. And I proceeded to shoot five under par on the incoming nine. And then the next day, I shot 63 and got my PGA Tour card back on the number. It was the lowest number ever recorded on the final round of Q school to get your card back on the number. And it was all because of my caddy. My caddy pulled me aside. I said, man, you're trying way too hard. Listen, just relax. Let's go have fun and just and not worry about what we're shooting. Just go out there and, and just have fun. And that's what I did the last 27 holes. I played the last 27 holes in 13 under par. Wow. And that's, you know, I think that's another great lesson, you know, for all of us, first of all, but, you know, also another message that I'm trying to give to my son, you know, who, you know, he'll go out and play and unfortunately he may have a, he may make a bad swing. He may have a bad hole, maybe a string of, you know, a couple of bad holes. And then it's sort of, you know, the, the deflation, right. And then he sort of gives up yeah. on the rest of the round and he takes, you know, what, what might be an 80 and turns it into a 95. That. Talk about right. that well, mindset, well, right? How do you how do you kind of re- release that tension and just you know not let that stuff and try to put it behind you and move on? Well, the the key is this, and again, it's all pre round preparation. When I'm playing a tournament round, um, when I wake up in the morning before my feet hit the floor, first of all, I thank I thank our Lord that I have the opportunity to go out and compete and play the game of golf, and I'm healthy enough to do it. That I live in the greatest country in the world that allows us to have pleasure and to 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 seek uh, the profession that we choose to do. Um, and then I make a decision. I make a conscious decision that no matter what happens out there, nothing is going to bother me. That is that that is the true test of mental toughness. I mean, a trained monkey can go out there and shoot good numbers when everything is going their way. That's that is a that is a piece of cake. It's the real player that can go out there and turn a 78 into a 72 or an 85 into a 78. That's a true player. That is true mental toughness. So what you have to understand, what you have to impart upon your son and anybody else that's listening that plays tournament golf is this. As soon as the golf ball leaves the club face, I don't care whether you're Tiger Woods or a bear in the woods, 
you have absolutely no control over what's going to happen except for one thing, and that is your reaction to what happens. If you are constantly up and down with every single whim of every single bounce that the golf ball takes, then you are going to be, you're going to be an absolute emotional basket case throughout the round. You're not going to play well and you're not going to have fun. If you go out to play and your number one goal is nothing's going to bother me and I'm going to have fun regardless of what happens and you make a decision that no matter what happens, it's not going to bother you. The only thing I can control are my emotions and my reaction to what happens and accept the fact that this is not a perfect game. You're going to get bad bounces. It is not a fair game. If you can go into that mindset before you ever get to the golf course, you, you've got about a 90% chance that you're going to have a fun day and you're going to have a very good round of golf. Bob, just a couple more before we let you go. First, you know, Bernard Longer is about a month from turning 60, and he has been dominating out on the Champions Tour. And he's, you know, he's threatened to win last year at the at the Masters at Augusta. You know, he was in the second to the last group before a, a bad final round ended up giving him a tie for 24th. But, you know, talk about, you know, you know Bernard Longer. When you watch that guy, and he, you know, again, dominating the, out on the Champions Tour at eggs, at age 60, what are your thoughts on him, and have you had an opportunity to spend any time playing with or talking with Bernard Longer? Well, I played a couple practice rounds with him. First of all, I, I attribute it to German engineering, you know, Mercedes, BMW, Bernhard Langer. I mean, they're all precision engineered equipment. Uh, Bernard has about 4% body fat. He's taking great care of himself. Um, he is just, he's always pursuing excellence. He's always trying to get better. You go out there, the practice round that I played with him, uh, was at Broken Sound a couple of years ago at the Allianz Championship, and he was out there. He had a he had a golf bag. You know, we're on we're on the practice rounds. Most of us ride because uh, you got to do a couple of pro ams, this, that, and the other, and they allow you to ride during practice rounds. He probably had he probably had twenty clubs, twenty five clubs in this golf bag. He was constantly trying new things, trying to see what could get slightly better to make sure that he was progressing. Um, and that, I think that's really one of the things that you have to understand about all great players is that they never, they are never satisfied at the current level of their game. They are always looking to get better, whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, whether it's an equipment change. Um, you know, for me, I mean, I've, I've had this M1. It's been fantastic. I love TaylorMade. The rest of my, I've got two hybrids in my bag that are TaylorMade. I've got a, a, a TaylorMade SLD R3 wood that I absolutely love. But I also realized that, you know what, I'd like to hit the ball a little bit further without having to make major swing changes. How can I do that? And so Callaway Epic was the answer. It was one of those things where everybody's talking about it, so I decided to try it, and I found that it was true. The great players are always striving to get better. Now, there's, this, there's all this rigmarole about Bernhard Langer. Is he anchoring? Isn't he anchoring? This, that, and the other. I'm going to tell you right now, Bernhard Langer has more integrity than just about anybody I have ever met in my life. He is the last person in the world that I would ever, ever accuse or think of cheating. If he says that he is not anchoring that putter, then I believe him. Uh, he is an honorable man. He's a Christian man. And uh, he just happens to be better than everybody else. Here's a guy that's, that's battled the yips uh, probably even five or six different times throughout his career. And he has always figured a way to get the ball in the hole. And he just has, he has an indomitable will, and he's constantly trying to get better, and he's just taking great care of his body, and that's why that's it's, that's why he's beating everybody each and every week. So, Bob, can't let you go. i got to get a pick from you. Who, who do you expect to be at the top of the leaderboard tomorrow, you know, tomorrow evening holding the claret jug? I think Jordan Spieth is going to do it. I think that Jordan Spieth, I think he's, uh, you know, the, he, is a, he is an absolute Marine Corps sniper with his putter. He is scary good when he putts well, and he is really putting well. His ball striking is better, and he's in a great frame of mind, and I like him when he's leading. So I fully suspect that we got another wire-to-wire -wire winner here with, uh, with Jordan Spieth. I would be very surprised if we didn't bring it home. Bob, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or over social media? Well, it's, I'm, I'm on Twitter at BobFriend underscore golf. And uh, I've got a private Facebook, but I've got a lot of friends on Facebook. And uh, just keep looking for the papers. And Lord willing, uh, you won't have to have the paper turned upside down 
to see me at the top of the leaderboard, the Dick Sporting Goods Open, uh, second week in August. Well, Bob, you know we're 100% behind you, my friend. We're pulling hard for you. Hopefully everything continues to go well. Sounds like your golf game is in great shape, so I fully expect to see you at the top of the leaderboard there. So good luck with all of that. Good luck with your son and, you know, his junior golf. And uh, please say hello to your father, too, as, you know, as well, because you know, we always keep him in our thoughts as well. So thank you for all of that, and thank you for your time this morning, my friend. Chris, thank you for having me on. My dad's doing great, and I want to thank all the men and women in our armed forces around the country that protect our freedom and our liberties, and also all the first responders. You're very special people, and uh, our freedom is uh, provided by you. So thank you very much to everybody listening. Uh, thank you very much for adding that in. Bob, take care, my friend. We'll catch up soon. Anytime, Chris. Thank you, buddy. All right. Take care, Bob. That is Bob Friend Jr. And folks, you're not going to find a, a better person than Bob Friend. He's been uh, fantastic to us over the years here on the show. And, uh, you know, I fully expect that, you know, based on the status, the status of his game and the things that he shared, uh, he's going to be uh, at the top of many leaderboards here, both on the Champions Tour and around the, the section, sections up there in Pennsylvania that, uh, that he's playing on. All right, before we get to my next guest, Dr. Dan Parkinson, uh, we'll uh, hear a word from our friends over at the Salt Creek Golf Retreat and the PGA Tour Superstore. If you're looking for a great place for your annual golf outing, a weekend golf getaway, or just a round of golf with your buddy, then Salt Creek Golf Retreat is just what you're looking for. Centrally located in Nashville, Indiana, just south of Indianapolis and west of Cincinnati, this challenging but fair 18-hole golf course appeals to all skill levels, and its scenic views of rolling hills and tree-lined fairways are sure to make golfing memories for years to come. Owned and operated by former Purdue and New York Giants fullback Randy Manier, Salt Creek Golf Retreat offers stay and play packages that include golf and a fully furnished one or two bedroom condo. After your round, be sure to stop by the 19th Hole Sports Bar and Restaurant for great food, fun, and drinks. Randy and his staff will treat you like family. For more information, log on to saltcreekgolf.com. That's saltcreekgolf.com. Or give them a call at 812-558-5944. Salt Creek Golf Retreat. Start making your golfing memories today. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGASuperstore.com. Now, back to you, Chris. And now joining me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dr. Dan Parkinson. Let me give you some background on Dr. Parkinson. He's from Bethesda, Maryland. Played college golf at BYU back in 1972 and 73. He majored in chemistry, biology, and pre-med at uh, BYU. Got his medical degree at uh, Uniform Services University of Health Sciences. He became an orthopedic surgeon and uh, served in the U.S. Army for 17 years. After retiring from the Army, he went into private practice for a few years. He joined Tag Marshall just a few years ago, and Tag Marshall is a company that has a very cool software package to help golf courses manage slow play and the pace of play and also increase revenue at the same time, and I'm glad to have him with me this morning here on Next on the Tee. Good morning, Dr. Parkinson. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Chris. So, Dr. Parkinson, I want to start off our time this morning by going back to your college days at BYU. Curious, how does a kid from Bethesda, Maryland, end up playing his college golf at BYU? Uh, well, the coach at the time that I played at BYU was uh, Carl Tucker. And uh, the BYU team at that, at that point was always ranked within the top five or top ten in the U.S. A player out of Maryland by the name of Marty West, a great amateur uh, went up to Carl and told him that, hey, that there's a, there's a good young amateur player back in Washington, D.C. And so Carl took a look and uh, offered me a scholarship. I came in with the same class as, uh, John Fote and Mike Reed. We were all freshmen together at, uh, at BYU. 
Yeah, and I don't think enough people know about the great golfers that have come out of BYU, Dr. Parkinson. You mentioned Mike Reed, who you team with. We know we know Johnny Miller was out of BYU, but there's all you know, Bobby Clampett, Keith Clearwater, Dick Zirkel, Mike Weir, Daniel Summerhays, just a few of the of the great golfers that have come out of that BYU golf pro, uh, program. Talk about the rich history of golf that they have at BYU. Well, I think a lot of that is attributed to uh, Carl Tucker the legacy that he left at BYU and also his recruiting tactics in the, the state of California for a long time. It seemed like the very best junior in California came to BYU. How he got them to come to uh, the BYU in Provo at 5,500 feet elevation and snow all winter is beyond me, but he did. And for a long time, they had great teams. They still have a good team, but not like they did with uh, Carl Tucker. You're right. We had every uh, Bobby Clampett, Mike, uh, Shannon, I think was his name, was uh, also from California. And uh, a lot of good players from Hawaii as well. And Dr. Parkinson, you have a couple of daughters and a son who are all very good golfers as well. Your son, Joe, played at BYU as well, won the Pacific Invitational his sophomore year and has had several top five finishes. He also won the Utah State Amateur you know, back in 2010 and the Salt Lake City Amateur in 2014. Talk about his game and how he's doing. <laughs> Joe is uh, Joe's doing great. He turned pro two years ago. He's playing many tours now in the Scottsdale area and trying to get his card on the Web.com tour. Uh, he just played in the Web.com event here in Utah. Uh, unfortunately, he missed the cut. He's he's learning very quickly just how good the players are uh, on tour. It, it's remarkable the way they hit the ball. But Joe's uh, he's dedicated, and I think he'll get there. I don't think there's any doubt about it. The, uh, he's, I have another daughter who's a PGA professional, teaches golf in Salt Lake, uh, good player in her own right. Yeah, I saw your daughter, another daughter she, she played, she played it right at, uh, at Weber State and also at Utah Valley University and, uh, actually was, as I was reading up on her, she was the, the team captain of the boys team in high school as well because they didn't have a girls team, right? <laughs> That's correct. She was the team captain. Uh, Joe was playing for the team at the same time as well. Joe and Stacy were on the same high school team, and she was the captain. Yes, that's wow. true. Wow. So, Dr. Parkinson, you know, uh, we're blessed to have a large military audience thanks to uh, thanks to the Armed Forces Radio Network. And, and you served our country for 17 years. You served over in the first Gulf War. So, first of all, thank you for your service to, to our country. But talk about the, your time in the military and also playing uh, golf on the Army team. Uh, golf in the Army is great. Uh, I, had, I had no idea when I entered the service how much fun it would be. For several years, I, I went to the Army golf trials, which was basically, uh, you know, you'd show up a week beforehand and practice. Then there'd be a 72-hole qualifier, and they would take, like, the top five players that would then play in the Armed Forces Championship the following week. Uh, several times, the, the hospital commander... <laughs> would say no I can't I can't afford to let my orthopedic surgeon go play golf for the army but then he would get a letter from the pentagon stating otherwise and so he would uh reluctantly let me go play uh, I wow. played on the army team several years and was fortunate enough in 1988 to actually win the army trials at Fort Gordon in Augusta so, uh, Dr. Parkinson, you know, let's let's fast forward to to what you're doing now. You were introduced as a member of the Tag Marshall team at the 2015 PGA Merchandise Show. You're their director of sales. Give us some background on on who Tag Marshall is and what that soft, uh, software can do for courses or you know around the world. I have a uh, my older son is a, a a real tech guy, and we I was doing a patent search on uh, cell phone apps and pace of play. And I came across this company out of South Africa called Tag Marshall, which was really far along. And I liked, I liked their software and what they were doing with it. So I contacted them and just, uh, like the people who were the founders and who were running the company, we got along well. And they asked me if I'd help them out in North America. And I said, absolutely. And I've been with them ever since. The, uh, it's, the software is intuitive. We use G small GPS tags that we clip on the golf bags or install on the golf carts. And we provide the courses with a, a real-time map of the various groups 
where they are and we categorize them as to how they're playing, whether they're slow, delayed, or on time. And uh, we've been fortunate enough to really place our software with some premier courses here in the U.S. Uh, the very first course that picked it up was Aaron Hills uh, a couple of years ago. And since then, we've signed courses such as Whistling Straits, uh, Valhalla, Valhalla in Kentucky, East Lake Country Club in Atlanta. Just some really nice golf courses have picked us up. So talk about, you know, and, and you mentioned about you know, putting it on the, you know, whether you're clipping it to a bag or you're putting it on a golf cart. Talk about, you know, how it keeps track of where players are on the golf course and something, you know, that how, you know, course rangers are able to find out that information and uh, track those foursomes and whether they got to give some feedback to a foursome that might be uh, slowing down play on the rest of the golf course. Well, right now, when you think about it, a marshal, he doesn't have any information. He's blind. Uh, to really be accurate, he's got to go out there and follow groups for a couple of holes. And, and by now, you know, the back, the backup has already, already started and people are upset. With our software, the marshal can look at his tablet and automatically see the very slowest group on the course and, and whether or not it's, de they're delaying other groups as well. We had algorithms which allow us to differentiate a slow group from a delayed group. So the marshal can look at the, the map of the course and automatically know which groups he has to talk to. He can leave the, the fast groups alone. He can leave the delayed groups alone and just go and concentrate on those who, who need to speed up. And when he, when he goes to the group, you know, characteristically, nobody's playing in a slow group. It's always the group ahead of him. You know, he, he, nobody admits to playing slow golf. But he can go to the group and he can show them absolute objective data and say, you know, you're on pace right now for a four-hour and 45-minute round of golf if you continue like this. And our goal is four hours. You know, we really need for you to pick it up. Uh, and there's not a whole lot they can say that. He can show them the data. He can show them the map and the, the number of groups that are behind them that, that they're delaying at the time. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's, it's remarkable in that it's play at every single course that we've gone into. In fact, as soon as people know that they're being – watch that they have an active pace of play program, uh, the course average time goes down immediately. Uh, so I think it's a, a program that is – go ahead. I'm sorry, Chris. No, no. Please finish your thought. The uh, We've discovered in some of the studies that we've done now since we've had this the software in several courses for over a year that managing flow on a golf course – can provide other information as well. Aaron Hills uses it to track their caddies. Each caddy is assigned a GPS tag, and, and they want to make sure that certain caddies aren't uh, the reason for the delays. Uh, so they use it to track caddies. The same with Whistling Straits, which is a, a caddy-only course. Uh, Aaron Hills uses, you know, in Wisconsin, they get a lot of severe weather in the uh, summertime, and so when they have to clear the course, they can now look at the map and see where every group is and whether or not they're they're off the course or whether or not they're safe. It's also been shown to increase revenue. If a guy takes five hours to play golf, there's not much chance he's going to go on the grill and buy lunch. He's probably going to go to his car and slam his trunk. Uh, so we think that there's a lot of other benefits beyond pace of play that come from the software, including increased revenue. And, and Dr. Parkinson, when I was, you know, walking through the video and, 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 and taking a look at the product, I, it also talks about heat maps and, and how that helps with course setup. Talk about that. What do those heat maps do and how does that help a golf course know how to set the golf course up from day to day? Well, one of the side benefits that comes from the, from the program is geofencing. Uh, anytime you're utilizing GPS, you know, you can always draw a fence around your area. Uh, and then be notified if somebody leaves that area. So we offer this as a side benefit, geofencing, and, and part of that is heat mapping, which just shows the where people drive their carts. Uh, this is great for the superintendent. He can see the way the course flows, where where the carts go, and so forth. And then he can he can either rope that area off, uh, or he can decide that he's going to have to put a cart path there if, if it's uh, if it hasn't been placed there already. So it helps him tremendously as to what type of work he needs to do to keep the course in good condition. 
It also allows him to keep track of his employees uh, on the course and where they are and how long they've been there and so forth. It's just another, we hear this term big data all the time now, and, and this is what the courses have never had in the past since what they need is, is the data to know they're making the right decisions. And one of the other things I saw, and you talked a moment ago about, you know, giving a course the, the ability to track caddies and if a caddy is, is, you know, causing slow play or that sort of thing. But the software keeps player data as well, right? So I, I would imagine if you're a private golf course and you're looking at player data, you, you could see if, you know, Bill Jones has got a history of, you know, slow play, you know, and, you know, and those sorts of things so that, you know, maybe that, that gives them an opportunity to, you know, quote unquote coach. Mr. Jones on, you know, what, what the history of, you know, his play and playing time is. Is that an added benefit? Talk about how you're able to track, you know, the, the player information as well. That, that, that's a good point, Chris. The, uh, the software keeps all kinds of historical data. The, uh, the director of golf can go back a, a year from now and see that, see how long it took to play the course that day, if he wants, or how long it, uh, the average playing time was for individual golf holes. Uh, as far as player profiles go, in private clubs, that does become an issue in that there's only one tag that goes out per group. But if that player is continuously slow over time and you get data on him for, like, say, 20 rounds, and out of those 20 rounds, 50% of the time he's slow, then you see that pattern developing. And uh, a private club can, can enforce that any way they want. You know, they can be discreet about it or they can be they can make it open knowledge if they want. They can make sure, though, that they don't put four guys together in a group like that where all of them play slow 50% of the time because then they're really going to have a, have a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the player profile, I mean, I think it's great. I think we should have a pace of play index just like a handicap. Uh, most of the courses don't want to go quite that far, but I think in the future we may have something like that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dr. Parkinson, give us some feedback, you know, that, that you guys are hearing. What, what, are, what are the clubs saying? What are people saying? What are the folks that are coming by, you know, your booth at the PGA Merchandise Show? I see you guys are already set up for next year. What are, what are folks telling you guys? Well, you know, with the courses that we've signed already, you know, they're, they're great referral sources for us. Fifty percent of our new courses come as a referral from one of our pre-existing clients at this point. And what the courses don't realize is that we're not a product that we just sell and then you don't see us again. The uh, the customer service from uh, my mates over in South Africa is really remarkable. I mean, it's uh, they become your partner in pace of play. They you know they're continuously developing reports for the courses. They stay on with the courses to help them with the software. The uh, so we become your partner for the entire length of the contract. And the clubs love us. A lot of the head players say that they, they can't do without it. The first thing they do when they come in in the morning is pull up the map of the course and see how how everybody's playing, what the pace of play is, and see how the course flow looks. So we're we're happy with that. We we couldn't be uh, in a better position at this point. The uh, we've there's a niche out there that we've been able to fill, and our price point is such that we're available to the average golf course in America, not just premier courses, you know, average daily fee or private clubs. So, Dr. Parkinson, how can our listeners go, you know, they, they're intrigued, right? You, you, you've piqued their interest. How can they go and go online or go on social media, find out more about the product, and then follow you guys and see all the great things you're doing? Oh, it's easy. You know, uh, <laughs> tell, tell their head pro about it, their director of golf, uh, about the new software, a lot of people still haven't heard about us. Uh, they can go online to our website, and there's uh, places on our website where they can contact us or they can ask for a demo. They would be more than happy to provide it. The demo can take anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes or longer if they want. The uh, We try and keep things as simple as we can. Uh, the software is so intuitive that you, know, you can learn to use it in, in minutes, not hours or days. Well, Dr. Parkinson, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your morning to join me here on the show. I hope you'll come back sometime, you know, update us on the great things you guys are doing because the software just sounds absolutely outstanding. Chris, I'd like that. Let me say uh, 
the armed forces golf well, is it, is fantastic. I know they they've opened the courses up to civilians now in most places, and there's no place where face to play is more important than on a military golf course. And we would uh, that's one of our goals is to make inroads into that industry there uh, to provide that service to our, our men and women who are in the military. Um, thank you, Chris. Great for, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Look forward to catching up with you again. I, I hope sometime real soon, Dr. Parkinson. In the meantime, all the best to you and, and, uh, and your family. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye. That is Dr. Dan Parkinson, and again, the, the company is called Tag Marshall, and uh, if you go online to take a look at their site, it's absolutely fantastic, all the different things that that software package, you know, allows, you know, the, the, the clubs to do and the things that they can see and track, and, and uh, boy, you know, when I was watching the video, it's absolutely amazing the amount of data that uh, that their software provides. So it's really great stuff. Again, the name of the company is Tag Marshall. They've been at the PGA Merchandise Show over the last several years, and like I say, they look like they've already got their booth set up for next January. So go online and check them out and give them a follow on Twitter as well. You can stay up to date with all the great things that they're doing. All right, before we close up shop here, folks, I want to remind you about our good friends over at SyncIt.com. You know how we like to keep things on the positive side here on Next on the Tee and have a positive approach both in life and out on the golf course. Well, we're excited to be partnering with the folks at SyncIt.com. Keep putting that positive thought, sync it, right? Sync the putt in your mind with their great line of T-shirts and hats. To win any tournament, you've got to sync the final putt. We all wake up every day to finish strong, sink the putt, close the deal, work hard, get each, uh, get better each and every day. Well, have the confidence to push forward in life, you know, to go towards your dreams. Do it with unwavering passion, and you're going to absolutely sink it in life. Check them out online at sinkit.com. We also want to give a shout-out to our new friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the golf course, right? It's essential whether you're playing, you know, in your, you know, your club tournament, the club championship, your weekend four ball with your buddies. Well, Par Bar is a, you know, golf nutritional bar that's going to help you have both more energy and more focus. Eat some, you know, going to the first tee, eat the rest, you know, about every three holes along the way of your round, and you're going to play with more energy and more focus. Parbar was developed by a lifelong golfer, a food scientist, and he did it to help golfers play their very best. Find out more information about them and get some for your own, and get some for yourself, right? You can order them right online at parbargolf.com. And folks, you know, we always like to close out this show with a reminder about our friend and PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great folks over at the Salute Military Golf Association. Want to remind you, let's let Jim remind you about all the great things that they're doing over at the Salute Military Golf Association. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. Yeah, folks, Jim and his team are doing amazing things at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go to smga.org. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Bob Friend Jr. and Dr. Dan Parkinson for joining me today. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback with me. I really appreciate all of your input, your questions. If you happen to have one for one of our future guests here on the show or somebody who's joined us in the past, please let me know. I'll be glad to get either get that question on the air for you or we'll uh, get it uh, answered for you if it was uh, for a previous guest. You can go on our website, nextonthetee.net. 
to see who some of our future guests are going to be. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari, our announcer, Joe Lajanusha. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, You can also find uh, this show and that one over on TuneIn as well and uh, as a featured podcast over on Podbean. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL players, legends, coaches, people around the media from around the country sharing their insights and their thoughts, their stories. If they're the legends, they, you know, we love the stories that the guys from the legends uh, side of uh, football are sharing with us. It's absolutely fantastic. We hope you'll check it out. Uh, plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. I want to remind you, you can find that show online at ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And again, this show next on the T.net. And if you want to stream or, or download any of our archive episodes, they're all uh, available for free on both sites as well. Folks, I can't thank you again for choosing to listen to this show today. We know you got hundreds of podcasts and shows that you have the opportunity to, to listen to, stream, download. We, we can't thank you enough for making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. on the tee with Christmas Carol where PGA and LPGA legends pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories join us the same time every Saturday to hear more stories about the game we love from the people who love sharing those stories with you it's all about the great game of golf it's all about the great game of golf 